wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm pastor to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your Drive Time host every Tuesday and Wednesday. It is really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. You know, I love uh, being able to just share the gospel uh, over the airways. What an incredible privilege uh, this is. Now, look, folks, this week we're following the theme, Lessons from Roads That All Christians Walk. And today uh, we're looking at Paul's experience on the Damascus Road. We're going to be talking about the process of conversion. Have you ever wondered... Does everybody get knocked off their horse like the Apostle Paul? Or is conversion more of a process in most cases? Now, today we're going to be talking uh, with uh, uh, with, the, with the chief pastor in uh, South Australia, Pastor David Butcher, on uh, on that uh, that particular particular question, and he's got some fantastic insights uh, to share with us. Uh, now, look, uh, look, folks, we uh, uh, also uh, have have with us today uh, Mr. Johnny Wong in the in the studio. Now, it is wonderful uh, to have Johnny with us. Welcome aboard, Johnny. Thank you. It's great to be here in Adelaide. Now, look, uh, Johnny's actually been in Adelaide since uh, last uh, last Sabbath, where he actually ran a major uh, regional meeting. And of course, all this week, he's been doing something which is probably, in my experience, a real first. Uh, we have had uh, Johnny, who's a businessman and layperson, training the pastors on ministry. And I, I think this is something really special, Johnny. I think this is absolutely fantastic. I believe that a new day uh, has actually has actually dawned. Now, look over the past, I think, twenty years, uh, Johnny actually is based in in Melbourne and has planted uh, five new churches in inner city um, Melbourne. He's also an an author. Uh, he's uh, he's written the book uh, Business Unusual: Seven Competencies for Effective Ministry, and that book is available uh, actually uh, on uh, on Amazon. You can you can pick it up, and uh, it it is a fantastic fantastic book it really covers the essentials in a very uh, in a very simple uh, simple manner um, now look folks one of the things I really appreciate about Johnny's ministry is that in many ways he's changed the paradigm of what it means to really do church now uh, and to me the thing that stands out he doesn't do it by attracting worshippers through beating the contemporary music drum or by having some celebrity pastor um, leading the congregation. Now, welcome to you, Johnny. Thank you. And you're right, we don't use that method. Uh, Look, I might as well start off. Why don't you use that method? Well, because the concept that young people are coming because it's just, uh, and we have a lot of young people in our church as well when we started as well. So, the concept that if you just run a well-choreographed worship and you get a good band and music together, that'll be a great way to to draw people. But you know what? That'll be more like a consumer mentality. We don't want to go down an attractional model. We want a model that we see in Scripture where Jesus said, love one another, which is the relational model. And so we chose a model that is more building about care groups or small groups 
But look, that must be. Look, before we get there, I do want to go there. But before we before we move that particular direction, what was it that inspired you to want to move into church planting? I mean, did you sense any issues with the contemporary church? You know, I've seen a lot in the, in Australia when I looked at the churches here. And for myself, I grew up in a church that was, uh, that I was involved in planting when I was in the university students. But then after 20 years, it settled. You know, mm-hmm. a typical church mm-hmm. would settle, it, it would rise, it would grow and it would plateau and begin to decline. And it would just settle at a number. And I could see many, many young people depart the church because it's purely, um, you know, we're trying to involve them in activities, in programs and all that, but it doesn't give them clear meaning and purpose. And what was lacking was a clear identity of who they are and the mission that Jesus had for them to make an impact in the world that they live in. So you're saying that involvement, because that we often hear that word a fair bit, is actually not enough? No, it's not enough. You've just involved the young people to do AV or, or PowerPoint or technology. The, the reality is that they need to find meaning and identity. That's the key. Mm. Uh, involvement has its part, but it must be in the context of, of their identity and their mission for why God called them to be a, a believer of Jesus. Mm. And so I truly believe that if we give, put that all together, it'll be much more effective. Okay, okay. Uh, th- this is in many ways, a brand new paradigm, isn't it, of, of doing ministry? In fact, it's all, well, is it brand new or are we actually going back to what was the reality in the New Testament days? Exactly. You know, we often think that it's a new paradigm, but actually it's just going back to the old paradigm, you know, that the book of Acts in the New Testament have talked about for many, many, many years ago. And, and really, it's really about going back to the paradigm that you see in scripture, because Jesus talks about this as well. When he, when he uh, got the disciples together, got the 70 together, he is all about teaching them one thing, mm-hmm. that if you can love God with all your heart, you can love your neighbors yourself. Mm. It's a relational paradigm. It's a relational paradigm. And of course, the thing that impresses me is that this uh, particular paradigm does work. And it, the fact is, the fact of the matter is, you can actually see it in the fruit of the pudding. It does. I mean, how, I mean, you've got five gateway churches in Melbourne at this particular point in time. God has continued to bless. You know, we just not only just grow them, but uh, plant them, but also continue to plant new mm-hmm. churches. And uh, what makes the church is actually the foundational building block, which is all the care groups, the small yeah. group ministry that's operating. And what so, how many people are attending those churches? Wow! All, across those churches, we have we started with about fifteen people. We're up to over three hundred people now. Wow. So God has blessed that. Yeah. So yeah. we're very thankful for that. And more importantly, we have seen the kingdom growth. We have seen two, over 230 people give their life in baptism to Jesus during this time. That's powerful. And isn't what's it? more important is that we have an intentional discipleship program that allows us to have an 80 to 90% retention rate of those people. Wow. Wow. Okay. Look, look, look tell me, what is your, What's your vision uh, for uh, for your church? The gateway vision, the church vision is very uh, simple to articulate, which is to be a soul-winning and training center that multiplies churches. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Soul-winning, number one, to share the gospel of Jesus. Number mm-hmm. two, you have to disciple, you have to train. And mm-hmm. thirdly, you have to multiply. You have to multiply workers first to multiply small groups or care groups, mm-hmm. and then you multiply churches. 
Wow. Can't multiply yeah. church without multiplying small group without multiplying people. Yeah, yeah. And, and the people that you multiply needs to be, as Jesus says, the laborers of the harvest. The laborers of the harvest. Yeah. yeah. Now, look, I, I, I can see what you're actually actually doing here. But look, how does Gateway differ? Now, you've mentioned it's the care group model, mm-hmm. but uh, to me, can you just open that out a little more? I mean, what are the most essential elements in in building? Uh, you know the I suppose I'd call it the non-pastor-dependent church. Yes, it is indeed a very non-pastor-dependent church because um, when you are a very people-focused church, the people focus is in discipling. Yeah. The people focus in gathering them in small groups or care groups. Yeah. All those kind of things are very people-centric rather than program-centric. The traditional church tend to be very program-centric. Yeah. And, and to the detriment of the focus on people. Mm-hmm. Oh, Gateway's model said, no, we're going to come back to what New Testament teaches us to be. If you look at the book of Acts, people were selling their goods. They were in, in one accord. They were praying together. There's a sense of community. There's a sense of, of, of care for one another. Mm. And that's the model we want to aspire to. And we continue to put the effort into that model so that we focus on people. And when that happens, when you have care groups kept for care group leaders, the care group leaders function like mini pastors. Mm. And then that frees up our pastors to look at bigger picture, look at the bigger questions of life, look at uh, new fields that is unentered for the gospel. Strategy, if you like. Strategy, exactly. At the moment, sometimes churches that are dependent on pastors get them to do all the operational stuff, all the administrative stuff, and poor pastor couldn't get beyond the week-to-week operation. Yeah, and, and increasingly, I, I'm, I'm really appreciate that you've actually said that because I'm conscious that certainly in my time in ministry on almost 40 years now, I'm, I've seen a huge transition occur so that the pastor is now increasingly pastor manager mm-hmm. uh, rather than a pastor evangelist as the term uh, used to uh, used to be. Yeah. But you're finding that uh, this model that you're utilising actually attracts young people yes. into the, you know, you actually don't need a high-powered trumpet to attract young people. No, you don't. In fact, the fact that you have disciple and train uh, care group leaders that can be relational is a very, very powerful model because deep in the heart of anyone seeking for Jesus Christ or meaning in life is a need for belonging. Yeah. yeah. When we can create environments of belonging, people then are open to believing the gospel. So we have people of no faith, people of all sort of faith, people of all denomination that comes to our gathering because they, the first thing they keep telling us is that I sense this is family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and let's face it, once you're feeling family, mm-hmm. who wants to walk out on family? Exactly. You know? and, and look, that's one of the things that I pre because I understand your retention rate mm-hmm. is incredibly high as well. Yes, and that is God's blessing because uh, we have an intentional uh, discipling program. When people uh, accept Jesus and have baptism, we do not leave them there. That's not graduation. That's just the start. They go through a very intentional discipling process that I describe in the book, which is about eight months, nine months, that allows them to deepen their surrender because discipleship is about deepening surrender, mm-hmm. surrendering mm-hmm. their mind, surrendering their time, and surrendering their life as mission. And that allowed us to have a high retention rate mm-hmm. because pe- then when their life is a mission, that's the key word, identity and mission mm-hmm. is clear, 
they know why they are believers of Jesus. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, look, I, I appreciate what you. I mean, uh, one of the the meetings that I did have the privilege to sit in this week, you actually made a a statement that did actually make me think because uh, you're because there's actually a lot of different organisations that talk about the importance of discipleship. Yes. But you made a statement saying discipleship is important, but it's not enough. Now, to me, I, I sort of thought, hey, you know, because uh, I'm a great believer in discipleship, and yes. but. As what you said, to me, I have to agree with totally. Would you share with us? Yes, I think because, uh, though, you know, we, we see somebody in scripture in Second Peter talks about them being a spiritual babe. Yeah, yeah. From there, they become, uh, after they, from an unbeliever, they become a spiritual babe. And then the Bible described them to be a disciple in John chapter 8. But then in Second Timothy 2.15, the Bible says, Study to show thyself a proof unto the Lord, a workman, Neither uh-huh. be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh-huh. Dividing the word to whom? Dividing the word to somebody else. So, and yet Jesus also said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers or the workers are few. Pray that, yep. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. So, you know, the, the scripture tells us that it's not just about making a disciple that is fully devoted to Jesus and worship him, which is great, but we want to go the next step. Because we believe that Jesus is coming soon. We believe there's a great harvest in Revelation 14 that talks about Jesus coming to this world. And before Jesus comes, this great harvest needs laborers to go into the harvest Mm. to finish the work. That Jesus has given us. So in other words, the disciples have to accept the commission mm. that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples and uh, take, take them, take themselves along that same road yes. that Jesus walked. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's a very beautiful, beautiful concept. Now, Johnny, look, really appreciate what you've actually been sharing, but look, I'd just like to just recommend to our, to our listeners, look, if you want to find more about, uh, all that's, uh, all that, We've been talking and getting trained in this week. You can actually go to the Living Ministry Media. Now, Living Ministry Media is part of the South South Australian Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, Living Ministry Media has recorded all the programs this week. If you'd like to hear him, just go to the Living Ministry Media website and uh, you can uh, you can grab those meetings. If you uh, would like to uh, uh, have a look at a, a book that Johnny has written, uh, then please go to Amazon. Now, uh, Johnny's written a book entitled uh, Business Unusual, Seven Competencies for Effective Ministry. And Johnny, I'm so impressed with this particular book. Why did you write it? You know, I'm not a writer itself, but the Lord put upon my heart to write it because it is so important to convey the principles that have been applied to practice. Too often people see the practice, but they don't see the principle behind it because the key is not to do a copy and paste on the practice. The key is to learn the principle and contextualize it in your local church situation. Mm. And so that's why the book was written to expound the principles that we learn from inspiration and to hopefully multiply more workers for the kingdom of God. Wow, and and look, folks, can I recommend this book uh, to you? Uh, we, if you if you would like one, you do need to go to Amazon.com. Uh, the book that you're looking for is a uh, business unusual: seven competencies for effective ministry, written by Johnny Wong. And uh, this, you'll be incredibly blessed by this book. And please, this is the sort of book that you might want to take along to your church. You may want to buy two or three copies. You may want to just share them with a maybe a, a few mates. So sit down and discuss uh, each of the chapters because I. 
believe uh, your church will be transformed by everything that you you read in this particular book. I'm so pleased, Johnny, that you actually read uh, that you wrote uh, this uh, this particular book. Now you've also got a, a website if people are uh, are interested. Yes, the book is called Business Unusual because I believe that we cannot do business as usual. Yeah. We live yeah. in a very momentous time. Yeah. We've been through the COVID pandemic recently, but we see a flooding. We see lots of things happening around us. So yeah. I believe we should do business unusual. Yeah. And uh, the website you can go to as well is www.rightlytrain.org. Rightly trained. Rightly trained. Dot org. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that, Johnny. Really do. And thank you so much for coming to join us this afternoon. We have been abundantly blessed. And folks, if you want to share that uh, blessing, um, also, uh, then all you need to do is to, uh, is simply go on to that, uh, that, to Amazon, pick up that book, uh, or alternatively go on to the uh, website, Rightly Trained. Uh, folks, please come to some music. Uh, please enjoy Sandra Ederman, uh, Faithful faithful men. This is a beautiful, beautiful song. Please enjoy.
Love that Sandra Edman and uh, the song is Faithful Men and of course men there's being used in its generic form uh, meaning men and women. Uh, Sandra Edman, Faithful Men, beautiful, a beautiful song. Uh, now folks look we do have our giveaway. Now look all that Johnny's been uh, been sharing to you today. Uh, this uh, this book is just so applicable. It's entitled Sharing Jesus. Uh, now this is uh, uh, written by a gentleman who has been a, an evangelist his entire life. Uh, sharing Jesus in everything. Uh, he recovers, their author uh, recovers an ancient biblical method of spiritual growth that so that every believer can apply it in his or her own life. Now, if, uh, if you want to know, hey, how can I easily and simply share Jesus, then this is the book that you need. You know, sharing Jesus, sometimes we think of uh, sharing Jesus in faraway places. But, you know, often sharing Jesus is most applicable in my own family. How can I share Jesus in my own family? How can I share it with a loved one? Who has, uh, who, who doesn't know Jesus? Uh, how can I share it? Uh, with maybe my next door neighbor. This book will answer that question. Uh, sharing Jesus. Now folks, if you'd like a copy of, uh, Sharing Jesus, all you need to do is to text us here at our studio text number. That number's 04888 80811. 04888 80811. And all you need to do is to, uh, send us the code SA79. And That'll trigger our robot. Uh, We call him Pilgrim, and uh, Pilgrim will get in contact with you, and uh, he'll uh, uh, he'll stay, he'll get some details off you, so that we can get this information, this uh, book to you in the uh, fastest possible way. Uh, that number again is oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven. Sharing Jesus in everything. How do I do that? Uh, to my mum, to my dad, uh, maybe to my children, maybe to my next door neighbour. How can I do it simply and easily? This book will answer that question. SA79 is the code, 04888 11 You'll love uh, reading this uh, this particular book. Now you are listening again to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And today our co-host, who I forgot to introduce and welcome aboard. He's my boss uh, and uh, I'm all terribly embarrassed because this probably means I'm going to be sacked in the very near future. David, welcome aboard. <laughs> Good afternoon, Gary. Yeah, you seem scared. I don't know why. I am indeed. I, I I live in fear of my bosses. You should know that, David. Oh, I think it's the other way around. <laughs> You're big Gary, big tall Gary. Look, it's uh, great to be with you, Gary, and really good to uh, have uh, Johnny Wong in uh, Adelaide. And if uh, you're listening in Melbourne... Uh, you'd be able to attend one of the Gateway churches and um, see how they do church. Uh, look up uh, Gateway Seventh-day Adventist Church and uh, there are four locations across Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's going to be a few more uh, locations uh, rising up here in Adelaide in the very near future. Um, there are some excellent churches here already. Uh, look, folks, if you'd like to come and uh, join me in, in worship on a Sabbath morning, I'd love to have you. Uh, I'm pastor of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's Amelia Street 
Sweet Hove, right over on the on the coast. A beautiful uh, location. I'd love to come and meet you. If you come along, please introduce yourself to me. I'm the big tall fellow. Probably be standing in the foyer, uh, and uh, and we commence our worship service at eleven o'clock, uh, and we have a Bible study period uh, commencing at, at nine thirty. But we'd love to have you, and we do have a lunch there too. So uh, please feel free to stay for for lunch uh, lunch as well. Uh, love to have you come and uh, join us. Now this week we are following the theme lessons from roads that all believers walk. And today we're looking at Paul's experience on the road to Damascus. Uh, we, you know, we're talking about the process of conversion. You know, so often I, I've spoken to people about the, the subject of conversion and the importance of conversion. And, uh, sometimes people have looked at me and, and said, Hey, you know, I've never been knocked off my horse like, uh, like Paul was. Um, you know, have I really been, been converted? You know, what does the process of conversion really look like? Now, David, help us out on this one. You've been a pastor of many years now. You're the leading pastor here in, uh, in South Oz, conversions. This is the the road to Damascus. We've got the story of the Apostle Paul. He's going from Jerusalem down to Damascus. He's going to persecute the the apostles. And of course, uh, what we have here is a a light shines from heaven. He's knocked off his horse and suddenly a transition occurs. But help us out. I mean, you know, conversions. What was the story? What happened? Yeah, look, thank you, Gary. I, I guess, look, to begin with, in basic language, uh, if you've converted a car, what have you done? It's been transformed. It's been transformed. It's been changed. Exactly. Yeah. So what we're talking about is a is a change, and yeah. it's not an external change. You might, uh, with a vehicle, you might um, fix the bodywork, uh, fix the paint, etc. It's a complete internal change, and the internal change impacts the outward. Mm. So uh, there are some classic examples uh, in the Bible of conversion and, and what you've led us to today and a very, um, I was going to say graphic, not graphic, very uh, a conversion experience which is very dramatic is probably the word, isn't it? It is. And um, even in secular culture, we will sometimes hear the word a Damascus Road experience. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And uh, so here we have a, a Jewish, a devout Jew called Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And um, he, he's, he's trained religiously too, isn't he? He's trained. He sat at uh, sat at the feet, uh, learned at the feet of uh, one of the best, uh, a gentleman, uh, a leader called Gamaliel, mm. and uh, he was devout. And we know uh, what devout Jewish people did. They knew the Bible, many of them word for word. They understood the teachings. They understood the law. They had applications. They uh, lived. A very particular uh, disciplined life. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was a man, from all accounts, uh, was in the right place. This was a man who was headed in the right direction. He, he, um, life was good. He had a great relationship with God. Yeah, so it would seem. If if you like today, we might call him an you know an upward moving professional. You know the the typical yuppie. You know, well educated, well educated. Uh, you know, he's got life. He's got something to look forward to, and in his profession. He takes on one of the more challenging jobs that's only going to build him incredible renown. Exactly. And he's a climber, it would seem. He's yeah. trying to climb the corporate religious ladder, if you like. That's right. And um, he does that um, dramatically um, for his 
part, the hand that he played or the part that he played in the death of the deacon Stephen. Mm. Uh, Stephen was stoned to death. And um, it says in Acts 7, uh, right at the end of the chapter, uh, the religious leader Stephen has preached this incredible sermon that's very convicting, but the demonic powers of Satan have overtaken the religious leaders. They stop their ears. They they don't want to hear the word of God. They don't want to hear the conviction from the Holy Spirit. And they put their fingers in their ears. They cry out and they run at him, cast him out of the city, and they stone him to death. Well, if you're going to stone someone, you get pretty worked up. You get pretty hot. Mm-hmm. You don't want to damage your jacket in the process. You, you know, you've got to be respectable. It's okay to kill someone, but you've got to look after your jacket. And so it says in verse 59, and they stone, uh, it says that a, verse 58 actually, that a young man named Saul, they laid down the clothes at his feet. Mm. Now, Saul was consenting to, um, to Stephen's death. And, and what we find in chapter 8, verse 1, it actually says that. And it says that a great persecution uh, followed the death of this wonderful Christian godly man called Stephen. Verse 3 of chapter 8 mm. says, As for Saul, he made havoc. Now, that's pretty terrible stuff, right? He made yeah. havoc yeah. of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So this is not just men Paul uh, Saul is persecuting. It's women as well. It's yeah. dramatic. It's uh, causing upheaval. There is pain. Um, I mean, we've seen elements of this in, in world news. This is an example of what happens when religion is used the wrong way because just as in many in many areas there is a right way and a wrong way uh, to actually utilize uh, for example the scriptures you know and uh, as i look at uh, look at this example i say hey you know this is a classic example of uh, you know religion facing a major challenge and yeah so christianity in this case was facing a major challenge from judaism or from elements of Judaism, and to such an extent that force and persecution were used. Yeah. Now, we know prophetically, and we're not talking about this today, Gary, but prophetically we know that from Scripture, if you read Revelation chapter 12 and 13 and 14, we know that there will be religious forces at the end which will also persecute. Yeah. Yeah. And so we discover in chapter 8, um, yeah, verse 3, as we said, that he made havoc house to house he entered, dragging off men and women. You imagine the families that were, were being split up. And, and then you jump to chapter 9, and this is a dramatic chapter, a change of life, uh, a transformation, a conversion. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, then Saul still breathing threats. It's almost like the... the uh, the, as he as he exhales, what comes out is murder. Mm. In other words, there is that much hatred, there is that much ill intent, that much destruction that it's it's overtaken his very being. Mm. All he lives and thinks and dreams is is to rid uh, places of uh, of Christians. So he goes to the high priest. And he asked for letters of, of authority so that he could go and, uh, uh, I guess, arrest Christians. And he heads to Damascus. Now, this is about 240 kilometers. Fair journey. A fair journey. You're not doing it in a vehicle. You're not taking a divvy van, a police van, to pick people up. So he's committed. 
Mm. He's a zealot. He, he's, and there are religious zealots today that would do similar things. And um, it says there that um, in verse 2 uh, that if he found Christians, and they weren't called Christians then, who were of the way, they were called people of the way, followers of the way. That is, to me, that is so significant because sometimes we wonder what were Christians called before they were called Christians. Well, the answer is actually the way. And Jesus said that he was the way, the, way, the, the truth, truth, and the life. life. And so it's not until Antioch, uh, later on in Acts, that they're first called Christians. They're followers of the way. And um, he wants to bring them bound back to Jerusalem. He's going to drag them 240 kilometers back to be charged, thrown in prison, persecuted. And um, it's not looking good for, for believers. It's not looking good for followers of the way. They have heard of the persecution. People have been scattered. Believers have been scattered. And he hunts them down as if they're a wild animal. But instead, he was wild. Mm. And he was an animal, if you like, in, in a spiritual sense. And so on his way to Damascus, armed with, obviously, troops, armed with letters of authority to arrest anyone of the way, um, suddenly... In verse 3, a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Mm, mm. Now, I don't know about you, Gary, but uh, this is, I guess, uh, I won't say the beginning because we get a little hint later on, but he falls to the ground. There is a light shone from heaven. Now, we know when uh, Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, we know that a, an angel came, didn't we? There was, and um, the guards that were guarding the tomb fell like dead men because of the light, the brightness of the indeed, light. Indeed, indeed. So this is divine light, and uh, Paul is uh, is struck down. He falls to the ground, and he hears a voice, and the voice is God. Mm-hmm. God knows his name. Paul. Paul. In this case, Saul, Saul, but uh, he has, and he has yeah, a transformation, no, 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 doesn't he? No, that's right. Uh, so you got the contemporary version, right? Yes. He's, the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, let me ask you a question, Gary. Who was Saul persecuting? Saul, according to that verse, is persecuting Jesus Christ because the next verse actually asks, Who are you, Lord? And to me, that's a really significant uh, question because, you know, Saul's recognizing that something going on. Uh, but, uh, uh, in fact, another part of the text there says it's hard for you to kick against the goads or, yeah. if you like, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The person he's persecuting is none other than Jesus Christ. Exactly. And, and this is beautiful because, because when a Christian is persecuted or when we persecute someone else, even not a Christian, we know that everyone is a child of God. They yeah. need to accept yeah. that. But when we hurt someone else, we hurt God. Indeed. And yeah. God steps in here and he says, why are you persecuting me? Uh, tell me though, David, I mean, I'm interested in that, you know, similar passage there that talks about it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You know, it's almost as though He's been getting convicted by the Holy Spirit over a period of time. How would you interpret it? And look, absolutely. So a goad was like a prodding rod. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a timber stick with a sharp, a blunt end on one end. The other one was quite sharp. They would be used to prod stubborn oxen and animals. Uh, and this does seem to indicate that the Holy Spirit had been working, and I believe the Holy Spirit works outwardly on every person. Okay, But the Holy Spirit only abides or lives within 
the person that surrenders or says, take me, I'm yours, come into my life. But the Holy Spirit works on the hearts outwardly, or the minds, if you like, of every human being. So how do I know when I'm being convicted by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, look, good question, Gary. And um, I guess we could ask that here in this case of, yeah. of Saul, couldn't we? And in Saul's case, clearly it would indicate uh, why you're kicking against the goads, or it's hard to kick against goads. You've been kicking, you've been pushing back against the Holy Spirit. So I believe our conscience tells us, our mind, uh, we know when we're doing something wrong. God yeah. has given us um, the uh, mor- a moral compass, yeah. and uh, the more we go against that, the weaker. And the softer that moral compass is, yeah. uh, often it might be um, other people might convict us of, of our situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Deep down, yeah. there is an inner sense of right and wrong. I, I'm, I'm so conscious, you know, David, that, you know, sometimes in my life, I mean, I'm a, uh, I'm a person who, you know, sometimes can can you know likes to express an opinion <laughs> and uh, i know people find that hard to hard to believe but oh i don't <laughs> I, I, I readily accept that you, gary you know david sometimes you actually say something and you know people call it foot in mouth disease um but some of us are are more um are likely to actually in, in, struggle with that particular issue than others, but you know the thing I'm so conscious of is that so many times when you've uh, actually said something that uh, is really maybe may hurtful for somebody else, you actually get the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, "Hey, look, you know uh, that was not fair. Was out of place. Yeah, that's that's a goad." Mm. Uh, and to me, as I, you know, I mean, to me, the re- way to respond to that uh, is actually, you know. An apology, you know, to set things right, to uh, make uh, to, to make things uh, to 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 can't put oil on troubled waters. Seeking like. forgiveness, Seeking confessing. Forgiveness. I did the wrong thing. I did the Please wrong thing. Please forgive me. Yeah, yeah. And that to me is a goad. And what I like about this, Paul was responsible. Yeah. For for numerous deaths. We, we know in Scripture, he calls himself in First Timothy chapter one, chief of sinners. Yeah. So he, as he looked back after he became a Christian, as he looked back, he could still see that um, that man that uh, was without Christ, that that human being that was full of hatred and and murder. But what I love about this story, and it's repeated so often in Scripture and in reality in our own lives, that God comes searching for us. And so God came searching for Saul on the road to Damascus. And the incredible thing, here is this murderous man consented to the death of Stephen, wanting to bring women and men back in chains, breaking up families. Mm. And yet God says, he has this incredible plan. I've got a plan for you, says the Lord. I want you to be the minister. I want you to be the chief person in the New Testament besides Jesus that, 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 that takes the, that is responsible for the spread of Christianity across the Roman Empire. And to me, that to me is a very beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful picture because what it means is that uh, the person who is in charge of conviction is actually the Holy Spirit. And myself, I believe that if a person doesn't resist, they will be drawn by the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ. Uh, that's exactly right. If we, if we don't resist. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and to me, and that's why this, you know, responding to the, if you like, the promptings, or as the as the KJV puts it, the goads, is actually so important uh, in this process of conversion. But David, look, I want us to. We're going to come to some music now, but I want us to come as soon as we get back to a uh, to an issue that uh, I'm just so conscious of because uh, Paul's knocked off his horse mm. uh, and, you know, he, he is converted uh, there and then he cries out, you know, Lord, Lord, you know, who are you? You know, and, and you actually get a, the process of conversion really goes into overdrive at, at that particular point. But I'd like to talk about this this issue of, you know, Paul, if you like, had a, I'd suggest, an almost an instantaneous conversion, whereas most of us, certainly in my life, that's not how it occurred. Uh, and I'd like to talk about that particular issue when we come back. But look, folks, uh, let's come to um, uh, to some music. This is Ron and Patty uh, Valet. Except the Lord, uh, build, build the house. Please enjoy. Except the Lord, build the house. They labor in vain, build it. Except the Lord, keep the city. What man waketh but in vain? It is vain for to rise up early, to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep, so he giveth his beloved sleep. Except the Lord build the Watchman 
And that was Ron and Patty Valet. Uh, except the Lord, uh, build the build the house. And isn't that so true? Except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain. Uh, who build that house? Uh, how how true is uh, is that statement? Now, folks, look at our giveaway book today. Uh, once again, is uh, sharing Jesus in everything, uh, and uh, this is written by Angelo Bullon and uh, Angelo. Is, uh, uh, is a wonderful preacher and teacher. Uh, he's, uh, he's also an author, sharing Jesus in everything. Now look, this, this book is particularly, uh, for those of you who may like to, you know, have, get some hints, some understanding of, hey, how do I present Jesus to, you know, maybe my family, uh, maybe to the next door neighbor, uh, maybe to that friend at work that asks a, asks a question. Uh, ple- this book is really worth, uh, Having a, having a look at. Now look, if you'd like the book, uh, Sharing Jesus in Everything, uh, then please, uh, just text us here at our studio text number 04888 04888811. And all you need to do is to send us the code SA79. Now SA79, no gap between the SA and the 79. And, uh, it'll be picked up by a robot. And uh, our robot called Pilgrim, and uh, he'll come back to you, ask a, a few questions, uh, get some information off you so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible. Uh, we'd love to be able to share it with you. 0488 80811 is, uh, is that number, and SA79 is the code uh, that, uh, that you know, that you need. Uh, now you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary And today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher And David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church Right here in uh, South Oz, based in Adelaide That very beautiful, beautiful city And this week we're following the theme Lessons from roads that all believers walk And today we're looking at Paul's experience on the road to Damascus, uh, we're going to be talking. We're talking about the process of conversion. And uh, David, really appreciate what it is you've been sharing with us uh, so far, because you're really unpacking this um, this conversion process. And I think that word process is so important because sometimes we think of it as just a, a solitary event, whereas certainly in the life of Paul, it's a process. Dig in dig in more for us, if you Yeah, can. look, thank you. So we find uh, Saul on the ground, the bright light shines, he's struck, it falls down, uh, and um, uh, God says, why, you know, Jesus, uh, he says, um, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul says, who are you, Lord? And, and, and the voice says, um, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard to kick against the goads. Every time we do something wrong, every time we sin, it's ultimately against God. Yeah. We know that Joseph, uh, with uh, Potiphar's wife, said, how can I do this terrible thing and sin against God? David, the psalmist, says, against you and you only have I sinned after he committed adultery. So all wrong, all sin is against God. That's why we need to confess our sins not only to those we've hurt but ultimately to God and so um, God then says to him he says arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do mm-hmm. and so he is blind he can't see he sees no one he's led into Damascus by the hand he'd gone there with murderous threats with arms and weapons and power now he's helpless 
And really, I think conversion includes the element of feeling absolutely helpless. It involves the process of being absolutely uh, realizing that you cannot do anything on your own. You're powerless. Mm -hmm. And maybe because he'd been kicking against the, the Holy Spirit, pushing back. Maybe it needed this dramatic event. Not everyone needs a dramatic conversion experience, mm-hmm. but the conversion experience can be just as equal and just as valid. But Paul was a strong man. We know that, strong-willed. Mm. And so he's led it by the hand into a house, and for three, he's in darkness. Mm. Now, we know he thought he was had spiritual light, but in reality, he was in spiritual He was in darkness. darkness. But now physically he has darkness, no distractions. For three days he does not drink nor eat, and he's without sight. Mm. Now we know further down in chapter 9, God comes by vision to a devout disciple called Ananias who lives in Damascus and uh, gives him a vision, and God says, hey, you need to go to this house, this street, uh, to speak to Saul of Tarsus. He's been praying, you know, it says, it says, for behold, he is praying. So we know that Saul was praying during these three days. And in a vision, this is what God says to Ananias, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias almost kicks back against God. Hey, don't you know who this man is? Haven't you read his rap sheet? You know, he's... Don't you know he's coming to this town to get me? Yeah. You know, to lock me up, you know? I mean, you're asking me to go into the... The lion's den. Oh, dear me, what a... And and this is the beautiful story of conversion. We put people in boxes. God takes broken lives and he remolds them and reshapes them to be champions, men and women for him, if yeah. we allow it. Yeah. And so um, God says to Ananias, go, direct command, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias goes. And um, when he gets there, um, he goes into him and um, he uh, he actually um, uh, receives his sight. Yeah. And it's interesting, in Acts 22, I think it is, in Acts 22, uh, it, in the account there, and Paul gives his conversion experience uh, three times in the book of Acts, uh, Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. But in Acts 22... Uh, Paul, recounting his conversion, uh, says that Ananias came to him and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, this is Saul, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Mm. This is really interesting. Saul knew everything about the Jewish religion, yeah. but he didn't understand the focus and the heart and the core, which is Jesus Christ. Mm. Once he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had time to ponder and consider. Now, often when we sin, we try and push it out of the way and we want to push it out of our mind. Mm. When you're blind and you're not eating for three days and not seeing and not drinking, you can't push anything out. Instead, it's dwelling on you, and we know that Saul was praying. You know, David, that particular passage to me jumps out at me for another reason as well. Do you know, I love 
what Ananias does. Because, you know, if I had been commanded by God, look, you know, go to, you know, this persecutor of the Christian church, I, my first words to him, I doubt, would be brother Saul. No, it would be a long, you'd tell him what you thought of him. I I, I mean, hey, look, there's many things I might like to say to him, but, you know, the Christian church transforms relationships. Here is the persecutor of the church, the one who has been throwing them multitudes to the lions, uh, the one who has been responsible for the death, and he turns around, he gets there, and God says, he is a chosen vessel of mine, and he just simply says to Paul, brother Saul, you know, he gives him, you know, to me, that really says something to me. What must that have said to Paul? Uh, Yeah, well, he's included. And you think there's been a transformation in Ananias. God, you don't know who this guy is. Indeed. But now he comes, he doesn't castigate him, he doesn't persecute him verbally uh, or abuse him. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. And then he says, arise, what are you waiting for? Be baptized, wash away your sins. Now, this matches what we find in Acts chapter 2. Yeah. Peter is preaching this uh, um, uh, Pentecost sermon, and he preaches that the the Jewish people were responsible for the death of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There, and, and it says there in verse um, thirty seven, the people, the crowd says, now when they heard this that they were responsible for Jesus' death, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And the response from Peter was, repent. That means turn around. This is a complete change. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. So what we find here in Saul in Damascus, he was praying in those three days. God would have been opening his mind, giving him spiritual sight, even though his physical sight was not yet restored. In that time, he was converted. Yeah. Ananias comes to restore his physical sight, and baptism follows. In other words, what we have here is conversion is a process. You know, we, we've got sometimes, you know, David, I'm just really conscious that we sort of, you know, how were you converted? And we sort of expect, you know, some people have been knocked off their horse. Some people have had dramatic conversion experiences. One moment they were, the next moment then they, they are a Christian, you know. you know, And to me, I acknowledge that certainly happens to, to most people. But, you know, in my life, I don't know how it happened in your life, David, but, you know, in my life, it's not how it happened for me. Uh, you know, for me, a conversion was something that happened over a period of time, you know. And for me as well, and and probably I was kicking against the Holy Spirit as well. You know, had an outward profession of of being pious or good or being a follower of Jesus, but inwardly there was some sickness, yeah, uh, yeah. some darkness, and um, you know, it, it, some events in my life. You know, I, I lost a cousin, my best friend. You know, uh, we did everything together, and it was as I watched his faith as he was dying with a brain tumour and as I helped nurse him and support him, you know, as, as a 25, 26-year-old, um, it sort of woke me up. David, what are you doing with your life? It was the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. As I saw the faithfulness of someone else, yeah, yeah, a dear friend dying with complete faith and trust, and yet I was nowhere near that. Yeah, yeah. And so the Holy Spirit works on every heart, but... He and, and, and Jesus and the Father will intervene at times in different ways. We notice, and I know we've got to finish, Gary, but the prodigal son, mm. when he comes to his lowest point, he remembers how his father treats the hired servants. Yeah. He yeah. remembered the father's love. 
And we need to evaluate where we are, that we're lost, that we're wayward. But then when we think that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, we can come with confidence. If Jesus can restore Saul or Paul, if he can restore the prodigal son or Manasseh or Nebuchadnezzar or the woman at the well, then he can, he can restore our listeners, and you and me. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Absolutely. What a beautiful thought that really is. David, look, we must finish. I'm just wondering, how would you like to just pray? I'm thinking particularly of anyone who may be feeling the promptings of the Holy Spirit right now. Would you pray for that particular individual? Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that you're a God who is relentless in chasing humanity, not to not to uh, tell us off, Lord, but to, to bring us to a point where we can open up and say, I've had enough of doing this on my own. I've had enough of messing up. I want you in my life. I want you to take control. I want you to be in charge. Lord, I just want to pray for any of our listeners out there that uh, may have the outward trappings or appearances of, of being a, living in a relationship with Jesus, but inwardly they might be sick, sick with sin. I think of those listeners too, Lord, that might be struggling with addictions or vices or whatever it might be, Lord, and you've been prompting them, may they say, Lord, help me. Lord, I want to live my life for you. Please come in and clean me. Please take over my life. Please forgive me. And you're the God who forgives. You're the God who restores. You're the God who enables, and you give all power. And it's nothing we can do, but it's through your grace. So, Father, be with our listeners. May they repent if they need to repent. May they confess And may they experience your peace and the infilling of the Holy Spirit is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow. Looking forward to catching up with you. Really look forward uh, at that time. But please and remember, Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift Peace of mind and heart and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.